Hey, hey, what's going on? It's your humble correspondent, John Ross Marcus Cox, coming back at you with the Way Too Much MC podcast. Hope y'all are having a great day. Today, we're going to be talking about an issue that I have uh, done a show on previously in the past, and uh, it was the middle of the legislative session, and it was, this was over a year ago when I did the show, so I've gotten a little bit better at this since then, so I want to revisit it because it's, it's, it's even more um, significant now, and some things have been brought to light for me that I want to add into this. And so we're going to be specifically talking about shortages in our educational system. For the most part, we hear about the teacher shortage. So we're going to talk about that. But we're finding out now as well that we also have you know, bus driver shortages, aid shortages, just workers in our educational system in general. There are, there are shortages. And I'm just so tired of hearing about the this being all about pay. So here in Jefferson County, we had this this little fiasco with our busing system, and all anybody's talking about is how they're underfunded and this and they should they were shorted 104 million dollars, all this all this kind of stuff. Listen, we have like a two billion dollar educational budget in Jefferson County. All right, like it is not it ain't money, and if it is, it's about like allocation of funding and not. Simply, there is it isn't there isn't any there. But listen, all the data, and I hate saying that. I hate saying the word data ever since COVID. It's it's been politicized to, to to an extreme. But all the data points it to everything to this being a problem, not about money, but something totally different. And so I'm going to pull in. I'm going to pull things in here for you from all over the country. Different articles different interviews different uh emails we've that we've uncovered it through or uh, open record request that we weren't even pursuing that information and just we ended up you know finding it and so but i want to start off here let's listen to one of my you know uh good friends a, a heroine in the state of kentucky for her efforts in the legislature uh wonderful Christian woman, wife, parent, friend, grandparent, all those, all those, all those things. She is those before she's legislator. But her name is Jennifer Decker, and I want to hear her talk about this issue in her in, in a legislative hearing. This this past session, let's just hear what she has to say. Lack of support in discipline matters. I'm kind of forgetting too. Salary was not at the, it may have been third, I think it was on farther down. And then they went back to the same people and, and said, what if you had the salary you think is sufficient, what would you do? And they said, quit because of discipline. And by the way, among the top three, I believe, was being required to uh, carry out woke political agendas. That was in the top. So when I go to your website, I'm sometimes just amazed at the, the woke agenda there, honestly. Um, and I've seen the letter that Representative um, talked about a minute ago, and I've talked to teachers about that. So the teachers that I've talked to don't like that directive, but it comes from you. So I'm just concerned and I wonder 
why your presentation does not talk about these other things. We've talked about them here. By the way, I can't find that on the web anymore on the, on the site, but I've sent it to two or three people. But you say you will take that into consideration and think about it, but this can't be news. I mean, I, I'm really shocked um, that we're not talking about it here today, and I would beg you to think about it more and to uh, think about your directives in this area, which are above teacher pay for many teachers who say, I quit because of this. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Representative Decker. There, there you have it. And so the, the issue she is talking about is student discipline. Time after time again, surveys from liberal teachers unions, Randy Weingarten's union is the actual, was the conductor of the survey that we're going to discuss today and the findings of it. They obviously don't want this to be what people are saying, but it's just what they're saying. Now they're going to twist it and turn it any way they can, right? But like it is, it is what it is. And now here in Jefferson County, Louisville, Kentucky, we're talking all about the bus driver shortage and people are, all I'm hearing is bus drivers need to be paid more. They got to be paid more. They have more other options. They have like, it's nonsense. Okay. Like people that are driving buses are driving those buses. I think a lot, most of the time because they like kids and they want to help like, feel like they're um, engaged with the system and doing a public good and getting kids home, you know, to and from work safe or to and from school safe. You know, or they're retirees that just, you know, are just doing it because they don't want to be bored in retirement. And the email we're going to read today, it's going to be, that's the situation that this fellow is in. Um, but again, like the consistent messaging from the left and from anybody in any department of education, state or federal, is that money, 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 funding, 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 funding. That's all that matters, right? Well, let's debunk that. So, I'm going to pull up. Uh, you're raising an interesting all, point, point around. So first of all, I'm going to pull up this little survey here. So, and so I, I got it from, it's called Chalkboard Review, but again, they're, talk, they're discussing a survey um, says 600, of, of 615 Midwestern teachers reveal why they're leaving, why they're really leaving the classroom. Data contradicts unions' reasons for shortage. This is from July 20, 2022. Countless education advocates have spent the last few months warning of the approaching teacher shortage, myself included. Voices from the left have warned of every reason from low teacher pay to COVID-19 policies to parents at school board meetings, while closer colleagues of mine in the center and on the right have suggested a behavioral crisis. This person said he sent out, he, he was set, set out to confirm a regional understanding of it. So Mid, Midwest is, again, it's happening in Kentucky, it's happening everywhere. We're, we're, right, we're in the middle of the road. Some people think we're Midwestern, some people think we're Southern, you know, but like we're chameleons like that. So I think it's, I think it's pretty relevant. We're gonna talk about some other stuff after this. So. Only K through 12 teachers were invited to complete this, this seven question survey. Three introductory questions with four content core questions. Limiting factors via survey distribution and internal mechanisms functioned as an endeavor to keep the data safer from the taint of political advocacy. Though I will admit there is no way to keep something like this sterile. Most likely a different set of 615 qualified respondents would yield a different result. Therefore I only pose that this is the best data I could collect independently at the current time. That's a disclaimer that people put out there just because they want to seem politically correct and don't want the left to come and like murder their reputation. 
but this guy is on to something. He didn't need to say that because it's consistent with what I've, what I've heard as well. So of the 682 total responses, only 615 qualified to participate in the survey. 67, 67 of the responses answered question two, yada, yada, with, but didn't have an email address that was verifiable as a school email. Additionally, teachers were asked if they were leaving their position as a K-12 teacher in what Midwestern state, Iowa, Missouri, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, they worked in. While the definition of what Midwestern means culturally is up for debate, this was a cultural region I had experience with far more than either U.S. Coastal Corridor, for example. And, I, and that's, I like, that's why I like this survey, because again, podcast and space, the media space, political space, like so much of it is coastalized. You got, East, you got East Coast personalities, West Coast personalities, and no one's representing the middle America, which is what I try to, what I'm hoping I may be f helping fill a little void on. We, we may have some people that have moved to Nashville. I know I love the Daily Wire, love the work they're doing, but again, they're not, they're not middle America people that are Shapiro and them ain't. I love, I love the work they do, but they don't. They're, they wouldn't be to move to, most of them wouldn't be to move to Middlesbrough, Kentucky, where I'm from, and just pick up where they left off. So, once past the initial three framing and introductory questions, four questions were presented to, respond, to responders. And this, this is the survey that Representative Jennifer Decker was referencing, and I don't know if she was referencing them from listening to my podcast, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell myself that she was, and I, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So given the reasons below, what is the largest reason you're leaving your position? And for those of you all watching, I'll put it up here so you can see it. Zoom in a little bit. Okay, so these are the reasons they can choose from. Salary is insufficient. Student behavior is poor and left unchecked. Progressive political activity, so DEI, critical race theory, gender identity, required by the administration. Parental concerns with your classroom, so demanding parents about curriculum instruction, yada, yada. COVID-19 policies, safety concerns about school shootings, lack of materials to teach effectively, standardized testing, licensure, expiration of professional development requirements, and other. So realize that this person was trying. He was trying to get answers that the, that the left-wing pundits want teachers to choose. Insufficient salary. Parental concerns with your classroom. And he made sure he put, out, put on there. Demands from parents. Left you saying parents are the problem. COVID-19 policies back then, that was obviously, that was a very, what we thought was a primary concern. I was the one arguing in Frankfurt that it wasn't a primary concern and that te teachers would, have, would love for them just to say, I don't want you to be the COVID police, but they wouldn't do it. Safety concerns about school shootings. That's supposed to be like the biggest fear every time a teacher rolls out to bed, they're thinking about school shootings. Lack of materials to teach effectively. Every day we hear teachers spend so much money out of their own pocket. Well, if they, like, okay, that should be a primary thing they talk about. Standardized testing, they, they, they definitely want them saying that because they, they don't want any accountability. The administrators don't. Licensure, exp expiration, or professional development requirements. Or other. They could even put other out there. So, I'm going to go back over to my own copy of this now where I got my notes. Or, I'm sorry, but, yeah. I don't have my notes. So, in situations, listen this now, where, where, in situations where salary could be, was just lumped in with all the other reasons. Okay, so, 
that means that it, it it can be they're literally saying what are the top what's the top reasons out of the ones provided that you're leaving the profession and it's just coming from teachers that were in a union and had retired the year before i'm sorry and, and quit the year before for reasons other than retirement they just quit resign so with salary as an option 51 percent of the respondents said behavior 51 percent 22 percent said having to teach progressive politics and another 22 then the next then it was then 22 percent said low pay so there are two primary reasons for people leaving the field of teaching right now. And it is not. And again, we're not talking about the teacher you know that quit and what they told you. We're talking about people filled out a survey, knew it was, knew it was anonymous or that it wasn't going to be put out there for the general public to see and for the people in their community to see. They were being honest. They said, Student behavior, left-wing ideological, um, ideological curriculum being pushed on them, or just ideologies in general being pushed on them and have to, having to teach it. And then third was salary being, being, being uh, insufficient. But progressive politics and low pay were the, well, actually, it wasn't third. It was tied for second. Those two. But this one was running away the primary reason. Now, I like what they did next. Next, they said, okay, let's, let's just say that pay is your primary reason. Let's just say, for all, let's just say, in this, in, let's assume that for all of you, pay, we're all going to say, okay, we know you'd like to be paid more. They take that out, what's your, what's your number one reason for, leave, for leaving? 72% of respondents that were union teachers in the prior year that had quit, that had verifiable email addresses with a school district in one of, those, in one of these Midwestern states, 72% said behavior. 21% said progressive politics, which is almost identical to 22. Which tells me that up here, this when you add 51 and 22, that means that 73% of the people that left the field didn't give a damn about the pay. That they knew how much they were going to make. They wanted to do good in the world. They wanted to be around kids. They wanted to help kids, but they kids were just too bad and there was no parental support, no administrative support, no superintendent support, no principal support in helping, you know, like uh, discipline those children. And they were tired of all the left-wing bullshit. Gender ideology and critical race theory and social-emotional learning and all the extra crap paperwork they're expected to do. They wanted to teach math. They wanted to teach history. They wanted to teach art. So, to me, this is about as like transparent of a survey as, as one could possibly hope for. 
the author of it, the person that conducted it, was very transparent and tried and tried to get the respondents to say something that would just go along with the left-wing media because chances are he probably wanted to write an article that was, that was going to be able to get more clicks and put some clickbait stuff out there. And nobody on the left wants to hear his stuff. So now he's probably hiding in a bunker somewhere or something for putting this stuff out. But nothing in there about parents being enemies or parents beating up on them or abusing them or whatever. Yeah, there's, there's the one-offs, but it's not, it's not in the data. So again, that's where we're going to start. I was in 2022. Let's go to this next article, Becoming School Discipline Wars by Daniel Buck. This is January 21, 2023. Fighting for discipline in schools is the right thing to do, and it will win Republicans even more support from voters on educational issues. Earlier this month, the Teachers Union in Akron, Ohio, reached a deal with the district to avert a threatened strike. Lost in coverage of the deal was a peculiar sticking point that had held up the negotiations, changing the definition of assault to replace the word contact with the word injury. So the school, the, the school district wanted to make it to where teachers and bus drivers couldn't file claims of assault on coworkers, students, parents, whatever, unless an actual physical injury occurred. So this came up in like punching the face and yeah, you had some blood and shit like that, but you, you didn't have to go to the hospital. You don't have any medical injuries that need paid. No longer assault. An assault committed by a student warrants consideration for expulsion, the author says. But district administrators were worried about students' exclusion from the education process. And so, in an Orwellian turn, they proposed to solve the problem through redefinition. But surprisingly, union, union members opposed the proposal and successfully fought to keep it out of the final deal. That's what a union's supposed to do protect its members. But this is what's happening in Jefferson County, Kentucky. It's what's happening in California, Florida, Oklahoma, Texas, New York, you name it. They're redefining things and they're not suspending kids for anything. They're not expelling them for anything. In, in Jefferson County a couple years ago, we had someone I know was a bus driver on a bus that were given oral sex on the bus and nothing happened from it. Last year, a parent got on was threatening to kill kids on the bus. And I'm not, I don't know that anything's happened from it. The district's attempt to alter behavior, the behavior code is part of a growing trend in districts across America. Where national headlines feature debates over the abolition of police or bail reform, the same ideas behind such progressive movements are percolating through American education, manifesting in reductions in suspensions and expulsions, loosened behavioral expectations, the removal of school resource officers, and other unwelcome changes. Unsurprisingly, schools across the country are suffering worsening behavior as a result. The tussle over the definition of assault in Akron came after a student was stabbed in an Akron school on December 1st. Stabbing was the second such incident in the month, part of a rising tide of violence in district schools. Akron's pretty, Akron's pretty middle of the road, fellas. Akron, Ohio is poor, it's poor to working class, white trashy, it's got some hood parts. It's basically Appalachia, all around, all and and all around the South. Plus, you can lump in Baltimore, L.A., Oakland, like the makeup and the socioeconomic breakdown and the cultures are pretty are pretty similar. Akron's Union is the first to threaten the, to strike 
over such chaos, but it's unlikely to be the last. Discipline in our schools is increasingly making its way to the center of our educational debate, and rightly so. Schools, curricula, uniforms, and pedagog pedagogical, I think is how you say that, approaches matter little if they can't maintain a basic level of student discipline. And I think Kevin Bratcher here in Louisville, and, or one of our state reps here in Louisville would say it would definitely agree with that, and so would all the others. But we certainly, here's the thing with student discipline. If it's, even if they're not getting to fully teach their left-wing ideologies in schools because of discipline, they're still getting to say their buzzwords and plant it in their heads. And they're creating chaos, which is where left-wing ideologies and Mar Marxism and all that, it's like, that's where it thrives is in chaotic environments where people can't think, don't have, don't have the ability to sit down and think logically and like war game things out, make the best decisions. If a school doesn't have a rigid, enforced, fair disciplinary code, it will descend into chaos. The order that comes from properly disciplining students is a precondition for everything else a school does. Amen, brother. Without discipline, you have nothing. In parenting, without discipline, you have nothing. Strength and discipline policies needn't offer zero tolerance for youth youthful fun or whimsy. Rather, successful behavior policies sweat the small stuff. And I'm always talking about this on my football teams, everything like that. Little things. The things that we think don't matter. Making your bed, putting your dish in the sink, brushing your teeth at night. You got to sweat that stuff as a parent. As a coach, you're a, every step a, a kid takes in the sport matters. You got to sweat the small stuff. When administrators dole out smaller consequences for minor infractions such as tardiness or improper attire, normal adolescent rebellion manifests as showing up to class close to the bell or wearing a loosened tie. When they don't, such rebellion can manifest as violence or big shows of insubordination. When districts clearly delineate discipline policies which infractions warrant which responses, students will know exactly what's expected of them. And when administrators have the backbone to enforce these policies, in my experience, most students will behave themselves. Jocko Willinks has, has wrote a book on this. It's called Discipline Equals Freedom. It's one of the dichotomies of, of our world. Like we think discipline and routine and schedules limit our freedom, but really it frees, it frees our minds up to not have to deal with analysis precedent because we know what we got to do. And there's freedom in that. Conservatives will argue from a strong position if they take up this debate, trendy progressive approaches to student discipline have proven disastrous, leading to deteriorating academic performance, increased class disruptions, more bullying and truancy, and spikes in violence. They may, here's the one, I want you to hear this part. They may even be surprised as teachers nod along in agreement with them. Indeed, educators largely support stricter approaches to student behavior. Republicans have become the party that voters trust on education. Fighting for discipline in schools is the right thing to do, and it will win them even more support. Have I not been screaming this from the rooftops? We got to, the same way that the LGBTQ movement has pulled, as like always make sure they reference in black people and black and brown people and all their messaging because they know, they know that there's such a positive um, response to that because most of us want like we know that blacks and black people and brown people have been uh, discriminated against 
historically, you know, we want to write those. We want to write that wrong. So they pull them in. We as conservatives got to pull in teachers and say, listen, we know you're not the primary problem, and we know that you know what the issues are, and you just can't say it out loud. Let me do it for you, but I'm also your champion. Okay, so next one. March 3rd, 2022, Alan Borsick, teacher letter describes, teacher letters describe abuse, damage, lost hope at MPS school. Is this a signal for a broad reassessment? I'm writing you today to express the heartbreak I have for Grand Tosa Drive School. That was the opening sentence of a letter from a longtime teacher at the Northwest South School to members of the Milwaukee School Board. And this was in the, in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. She wanted to show why the word heartbreak was justified. Five other staff members of the school also sent letters describing the alarming situation at the school. Those six were joined by 18 other staff members and signing a letter asking the school board to do something about the extreme concerns of culture, climate, and safety that have been occurring in our school this year. At least on the record, the set of intense letters brought mild responses from the school board and Milwaukee public school administrators. And beyond that record, it is hard for an outsider to tell. My request to visit the school and talk with the principal is not granted. Even in schools with records of good student achievement and in higher income locations, student engagement and behavior, along with stress and turnover among teachers, have been issues of increasing concern in recent years. Grand Tosa Drive School may be a particularly vivid example, but the alarms that were sounded by Grand Tosa staff members strike me as a broader call for reassessing what is going on with a lot of kids, parents, teachers, and schools, and for considering fresh approaches to what is needed to establish constructive learning atmospheres more broadly in many schools. Grantosa had 585 students in three-year-old kindergarten through eighth grade as of September in recent years. Well below 10% of students who took state standardized tests scored at levels considered proficient or advanced. Sound familiar? Jefferson County Public School parents, Jefferson County residents, taxpayers. It sounds familiar to me. 70% or more tested at below basic levels or in spring 2021 didn't take the state test at all because they don't want to take them. They don't want any accountability. Make of it what you will, but in the school report cards released by the Wisconsin Department of Public Instruction last fall, Grand Tosa was rated as at the meets expectations level. So is Jefferson County. They're being rated as meeting expectations, even though well below 10% of students who took state standardized tests scored at levels considered proficient or advanced, and 70% were below basic. 70%. Here's what teachers told the school board about what was going on within Grand Tosa around the time that report card was released. Coming to work each day has always brought me excitement and hope, wrote the teacher who said she was heartbroken. Those feelings are quickly turning to fear. Fear of how my colleagues and I will be abused for yet another day. Referring to students, she went on to say, teachers at Grand Tosa are in abusive relationships that are only escaped by quitting. We see the individuals committing these abusive acts return to our classes repeatedly without consequence. We struggle to make contact with parents as many of their phone numbers change weekly. And when they do make contact, some teachers are not met with support, but blame and further verbal abuse. Today, I have a student who I've developed a great relationship with that cussed me out and threatened me for stopping her from watching Netflix in class. The students had found a way to get around the system in place to block that. These examples have become the small stuff. Teachers are trying to put out the bigger fires, the fights, the furniture being flailed, protecting their students from bodily harm and preventing property damage. I'm seeing my colleagues give up. They have come to the point where they are hopeless, therefore go, go on enduring the toxic environment they are in. The letter from a second staff member said, our staff are forced to adapt to a system that is clearly broken. 
She and others from Grand Tosa said that the principal had been out of the school for an extended period and had been replaced by ineffective administrators from the central administration. Woo, that definitely sounds familiar. Not only has the lack of staffing created the climate, a climate of stress, but the lack of leadership present at Grand, at Grand Tosa, we're, talking, we're going to go to leadership here in a second, has negatively impacted the morale of our staff. She said the school had a delusional staff, inconsistent structure, and feelings of anxiety over the unknown. In a third letter, the writer said she had been an educator for more than 20 years. More than half of them at Grand Tosa. She recalled how great educators at Grand Tosa gave so much to the students. Unfortunately, recently they have given their bodies and mental stability to their profession. Teaching has become a job that is no longer in the field of education, she wrote. We no longer have the hope that we can educate at all. She also wrote that students know that with the revolving door of administrators, they won't receive any effective consequence for bad behavior. As more and more students realize that they can come to school but not actually have to follow any rules, teaching lessons is difficult or becomes non-existent. We need support and communication before our school dies. Our students, our staff, our communities deserve better, but we will not survive if things continue in this way. A first grade teacher wrote, in my classroom, there are several students who are disruptive to the point where other students learning and oftentimes safety is hindered. She said that when she calls for a safety aid to help, the phone often goes unanswered. I have gotten punched with no consequences for the student, she wrote. Some of her students wander the hall and lately, since they know nothing is being done and I am spread immensely thin, more have joined in with this behavior. In most cases, calling parents does very little, especially when no one can be reached. Students are taken out of class and brought right back a few minutes later, returning with the same or worse behaviors. There seem to be no consequences. My students who come daily and are doing what they need are tired of being unsafe, not getting the help they need, and being sworn at, having constant disruptions and not enough adult support in the room. I heard last fall about the situation at Grand Tosa and later heard that staff members had sent letters to the school board. On November 9th, I filed an open records request for copies of the letters. A letter from Jacqueline Mann, head of MPS, Office of Board of Governance, sending me the letters was dated February 3rd, but was not sent to me by email until March 10th. From November 9th to March 10th, more than three months after I requested the letters. Separately, I was given a letter from Mann to one of the teachers saying the staff concerns should be taken up with the MPS administrator and a letter dated December 9th from Patrick Chapman, an administrator who oversees schools on the northwest side, including, including Grand Tosa. Chapman's letter said, While we recognize this has been a trying time for the staff, the district has remained committed to ensuring consistent administrators, safety, and additional staffing support have been present daily to aid in the work at Grand Tosa. Staff has been hired to fill several vacancies, and the district's handbook on discipline is being used to address student behaviors. Doesn't, we know. The handbook's nonsense it's ineffective doesn't do shit to anybody whenever they do but when they do bad things the regional team along with senior staff continues to make Grand Tosa a priority and will aid to ensure students have a meaningful learning day however a source within the school suggests not much has changed since the letters were sent on, no on November 26th yes student achievement needs to be accelerated and positive relationships should be established within school communities but what if that is not happening what if there is clear evidence it is not happening in a big way? Then what? That sums up a question, a conundrum, and a crisis that is at the core of the problems of schooling in Milwaukee now. It is not just Milwaukee. It's the entire damn country. State departments of education make up huge percentages of state spending in every state. In Kentucky, we were spending like $17,000 per student in the public education system. 
There are schools in Louisville getting $23,000 a student with single-digit rating proficiency rates. Single-digit grade-level math and reading proficiency. But they say they need more money. They need more money. They need more money. Turns out, Americans, all Americans and teachers and bus drivers and the people the elite see as beneath them aren't as like uh, big assholes as as, as I mean, that's what I, that's my take from this is like if you listen to the mainstream media and the and the left wing, you know, tips of the spear, all you better think is that teachers are just straight are the most conceited people ever that are the most selfish people ever because they said money, 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 but when their kids aren't getting educated or aren't getting home till 9 or 10 o'clock at night like they are in Jefferson County. I'm, I'm making, I'm, this isn't a prediction. I'm telling you right now, the problem is discipline of children and lack of support from management, administrators, director and like people that we are that the teachers are directly reporting to the bus drivers are directly reporting to and not just that but there's also imminent repercussions that they're going to, have to deal with when they bring these things forward so now i'm going to bring this home i have come across an email that was sent to our school board here in july of 2020 saying everything that I've talked about in these letters, in these other articles, letters, what Representative Decker has alluded, to, has alluded to, what other news sources have alluded to, what Linda Duncan, one of our school board members, alluded to in, here in Jefferson County in, a, in the most recent school board meeting, that there's no consequences, People, kids aren't being kicked off the buses. We're literally busing every kid regardless of their desire to be educated. They're just disrupting. It's disrupting things. Now we won't let you into the football game without it, without showing a student ID. And if you're if you're not from that school, we won't let you into the football game unless you have a parent with you. But if you're whooping other kids' ass on the bus, or you're getting you're getting a blowjob on the bus, or you're talking shit to the bus driver, we what, there's basically no consequences for that. And they want to change the word assault to mean that physical injury has to occur, and not just. Uh, what was the word that they, what was the word they used not just contact actual like injury so this email was sent to Kevin Brown who was our interim commissioner of education Joette Fields officer of, officer of the commissioner of education this person named uh let's see Teresa Perry and then James Craig Diane Porter so a couple of our uh, school board members in Jefferson County. But I bet there's stuff like this going on in every, in every district, especially every major district, uh, urban district in the, in the country. The one response that was sent back related to this was my school board member. He's in, I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of his constituents, James Craig. And yes, I don't care if I'm using his name. I don't care. His response to this email, or actually he didn't respond, he didn't respond to this person. That person seemed, but I'm assuming never got, a response but he forwarded this on to 
several of these people that said, I receive the same racist email from this gentleman once a year. So he read this email that I'm about to read to you, and the only response he had was, the guy's a racist. I'm going to read it to you in its entirety. You can be the judge. I'm going to leave his name out. The subject was JCPS Transportation Management, incompetent, biased, partisan. Hara- I'm sorry, biased, partisan, harassing. So Mr. Brown and Mr. Craig, so it was made up to the Interim Commissioner on Education and his school board member, James Craig. So he didn't send it to, this, to James Craig because he was the white one. It's his constituent, he goes into it. As the interim Kentucky Commissioner of Education and as the District 3 School Board Representative, I am writing to express my deep concerns over the incompetence, bias, partisanship, harassing management tactics, and unsafe condition of JCPS transportation. This is in July of 2020. I worked in JCPS transportation driving a school bus for six years from August 2012 through August 2018 at the Will Hoyt Bus Compound managed by JCPS managers Netney Taylor, Tarita Brown, and Tanya Klinkscales. In August 2018, I took a full-time position Mad. I lost my place. Full time position with another transportation company where I continue to work today. Just some background about me. I graduated from Ballard High School. I won't say the year. Received a finance degree from the University of Virginia. I won't say the year. And worked as vice president of trust and wealth management for 27 years in Louisville and Richmond, Virginia. In 2011, I began working for the public school system as a school bus driver in order to have my summers off for golf, travel, etc. This is somebody who'd worked his whole life, VP of a wealth, wealth and Trust Management, so he's obviously, got, he's obviously got some money. Dude's loaded. Didn't want to be bored all the time, so he started driving a bus because he thought he'd get to be around kids and people that make him feel young and still get his summers off to play golf and travel, but also make a little extra money so he's not going to take so much out of his investments. As a banker and at a college-educated professional, I was shocked and appalled at the unprofessional, biased, partisan, incompetent, unsafe, and harassing work conditions that took place in JCPS transportation and, frankly, in JCPS as a whole. The three management individuals listed above are responsible for the planning of bus routes, the safe operation and execution of bus routes, for managing, supporting, and caring for bus drivers, for following safety regulations and procedures, and for the safety and health of students and bus drivers on buses. They do a horrible job. They should be replaced. I was shocked at their unprofessionalism and their biased and harassing ways. They operate with a bunker mentality. Bunker mentality means that you are, like, you are in the shit and taking fire and are in self-preservation mode. You're not opening that door up to let someone else in because you don't want to let a grenade in. Because all three are African-Americans, they think that everyone is out to get them and remove them from their jobs. In my opinion, they only trust other African-Americans and liberals. They have a very difficult time relating to other people. They have a very difficult time trusting other people, especially if those other people are white and educated. Now, that's going to make some people uncomfortable. I'm not endorsing everything that's been said. I'm I'm just reading it. Same way I read these other articles, I'm reading exactly what was said. One thing that is interesting, at least one of these individuals was involved in a civil rights lawsuit against JCPS that was filed in 2019 from an incident in 2016 stating that they were being 
they were not getting a job because of, because they were African American. And so, subsequently, with within a year of filing that lawsuit, actually it's less than a year from that time that filed lawsuit to the time this letter, this email was sent, that person that had filed the lawsuit had gotten the job they wanted. So they obviously, they, again, they put in they put in the record that they felt like the white people in charge of hiring in JCBS were racist and like were systemically keeping them from getting jobs. So that knowing that that would, to me, that's what he's saying here would be consistent if, with that type of mindset, and maybe even justifiable. I mean, I'm not saying it would even be like wouldn't be uh, relevant or or understandable. And especially, they have a very difficult time taking any type of constructive criticism to try to improve the JCBS transportation system. They take everything personally. They have no ability to just focus on a problem and work on a solution. They take any discussion of a problem as a criticism and a personal attack. Tanya Klingscales is particularly a problem in this regard. She takes everything personally, and in my opinion, she is in a job that does not suit her personality and does, it does not suit her emotional state. But she's in the job simply because she's African-American. Now, I don't said I'm not endorsing that. I don't know if that's the, if that's the case. JCBS's aggressive affirmative action policies have pushed many African Americans up the management ladder simply because they're African Americans ignoring better qualified individuals all in the name of trying to raise their standard of living and be a progressive organization. I applied for the management training program and for a job planning bus routes but was denied simply because in my opinion I did not cater to their huge egos, did not try to befriend them. And because I'm white, in my 50s, conservative, and not poor. Pitiful. JCPS promotes employees based on race, financial status, and political ideology, not on merit, ability, and education. That is why JCPS has problems and is not trusted. Now, some people, a couple of people that he is accusing here filed a lawsuit saying the same thing, just in, opposite, in the opposite point of view, right? So I don't think it's crazy to think that they, the pendulum swung so far to where now the same thing was happening in the other direction. The fact of the matter is, this is part of the problem about, the, about affirmative action policies is that it ten, they, those policies tend to not account for actual merit and, you know, and hard work. And I think uh, what I'm, my point is that I think even it's possible for a black person that is less um, qualified than another black person to get those jobs because they've taken in who they know and who has filed a lawsuit and who hasn't. So again, I'm not endorsing this. I'm just saying I can, it's understandable and it, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't lead me to think the guy's just a straight up racist. I think it's consistent with what we're hearing across, the, across everywhere. Even on the flip side of that, before that, about the, there is system. I do think there's things. There are systems in place where the people that are still in there are doing racially motivated things. JCPS managers feel that if you try to suggest a change or an improvement, that you are being racist and criticizing them because they are black. Ridiculous. They are the ones who are racist because they cannot deal with other people. They have such huge and fragile egos that they cannot focus on a problem but take everything personally. They excuse the rule-breaking, disruptive, rude, violent behavior of black students. They cover up the rule-breaking behavior of black students. There have been fights and attacks and assaults on JCPS buses for years because many students have no respect for education 
the education system for ethical behavior and for rules. JCPS management and administrators do nothing to change this rule-breaking rebellious behavior. JCPS managers and administrators are weak and simply are either afraid to punish black students that break the rules because they will be accused of being racist or they simply are showing favoritism. The same thing happens at Will Hoyt Compound. So again, I'm not in the system. I'm not saying that's happening. This is somebody who drove, drove a bus for six years that's willing to, that was willing to go on the record to say this because the emails are all public record. What I will say is I am willing to endorse that take out the, co the skin color of the students and just say students, they are covering up rule-breaking behavior of students. Fights and attacks and assaults are breaking out on buses and the students are not being disciplined and are not facing ramifications or repercussions. Rita Brown and Nettie Taylor yell at employees that they do not like and they do not want to work there. She and Nettie Taylor try to harass and try to intimidate drivers that they do not want to work there. They intentionally tr try to drive away certain, especially white, more educated drivers, so that, they, so that the only workers there will be black or their friends. It's called nepotism. <laughs> when I worked there, both of them threatened me and tried to harass me. I saw them threaten other drivers and harass other, and harass other drivers. My fiance has worked there from 2008 through today. She's been harassed by these managers and by other drivers who support these managers. Nettie Taylor even threw an object at her. She's been yelled at and treated very unprofessionally, as have other drivers. These managers are horrible. They are biased, partisan, game players, manipulators, unfair. And on top of that, they do not follow proper safety and JCPS procedures. They try to skirt proper procedures that they can. They allow drivers to skirt and ignore proper safety procedures. They are awful and need to be replaced. JCPS transportation as a whole needs a complete overhaul. Stop busing students unless it is accomplished in a safe, efficient manner for bus drivers and students. Stop wasting millions of dollars of taxpayer money on transportation costs that only produce problems in an unhealthy work and education environment. If nothing else, the dude, the dude knows money. He was the vice president of wealth and trust management for 27 years at Wachovia Bank. In the calendar year of 2017, I was elected by the drivers of the Will Hoyt compound to serve on the JCPS Transportation Employee Involvement Committee to discuss bus driving issues. So all the drivers at Will Hoyt compound. I, don't know, I can't remember how many compounds there are, but I know there's, six, there's like 600 drivers now. I think at this point, I think there were still 900. So there's no way, it's not all white bus drivers. So bus drivers of all skin colors voted for him to be their representative on this committee. We had three scheduled meetings, January, February, and April 2017. The meetings were facilitated by Randy France, a director of transportation at that time, who has his own sordid past, has never been in a position for longer than three years, and seems to just jump around and has connections with people that was, he was labeled the right-hand man of our local public transportation, the TARC, uh, it's called TARC. It was labeled his right-hand man, and that guy was let go for being labeled and accused of being a, of sexual predatorial behavior enough so that where he was let go and is now guess what director of transportation somewhere else um the meetings the meetings were facilitated by randy france director of transport at the time as a trained professional i was very comfortable bringing up many of the problems that existed and exist in jcps transportation including overcrow overcrowded school buses inefficient routes harassing treatment of bus drivers, attempts verbally and in writing to try to intimidate drivers, unsafe working conditions, violence on buses, biased managers, 
inappropriate and unprofessional radio communication by JCPS managers, lack of support from Wilhoyt managers, lack of support from principals, lack of following pre-trip and safety regulations, and lack of punishment for misbehaving rule-breaking students. I offered some possible changes and solutions, including, so he brought up overcrowded school buses. We know about that. Inefficient routes. Oh, boy, do we know about that. Harassing treatment of bus drivers. Yep. Check. Attempts verbally and in writing to try to intimidate drivers. We, you know, we're hearing about that now. Unsafe working conditions. Check. Violence on buses. Yep, we know it. Biased managers. We don't know that. It's an accusation. Inappropriate and unprofessional radio communications. We can't, you know, I can't verify that. Lack of support from public managers. Lack of support from principals. We're hearing that from teachers, too. Principals aren't supporting them. They're, they are the, they are just middle managers from administrators down. I know there might be a good one here or there. I'm not saying that all print, everybody's like, oh, my principal's great. Our school's great. We're not talking about exceptions to the rule. And then lack of following pre-trip and safety regulations. Elementary school students on buses with high school students. Having to walk down highly trafficked roads at seven years old in the dark. Having to stand on the corner in the dark at seven years old. Having to walk 0.8 miles from your house. And lack of punishment for misbehaving rule-breaking students. Because Randy France and Tanya Klinkscales took my speaking up about problems and solutions as personal criticism, Randy France had told had Tanya Klinkscales remove me from the meeting, and then she verbally threatened to have me physically dragged out of the building if I did not leave. So what did he do? Did he throw a fit? Did he start throwing punches? Start launching like like screaming? No, he said I of course left because I am an retired edu like educated professional that's doing this as like a side hustle and I'm not trying to lose my freedom over it. That's what he basically, I was shocked at their unprofessional, low-class, strong-armed, uneducated behavior and management tactics. I then received a letter from them in late April 2017 informing me that I had been removed from the committee by them because I was supposedly not being, and he's putting quotes, positive enough. So he has documented evidence, proof, he was being removed because he wasn't being positive enough. In truth, they simply did not want to talk about problems. The minutes of the meetings were whitewashed and many discussions were left out if they were discussions about real problems. This is a perfect example of what is wrong with JCPS and why our community does not trust this organization, why this is a failing organization, and why, and why every family possible sends their students to private schools or moves to Oldham County to avoid JCPS schools. The JCPS managers are biased and unethical. JCPS does not force students to behave on buses, and if a driver complains and they are targeted for dismissal by either harassing them or pulling their tape to try to find a minor safety violation. So they're recording them, and they use that as blackmail. Students assault drivers. Students, students assault other students. Students trash the buses. Students are allowed to act in rude, disrespectful ways. Students yell at other students. Students throw trash out bus windows. And principals ignore bus behavior problems. There are constant problems in JCBS transportation and the Teamsters Union do nothing to address these problems. On buses, especially the buses coming from the west end of Louisville. Pitiful. They simply want to force busing on this community at whatever cost. Stand up for what is right. Do not be bullied by the liberal left, the Democrats, and the African American community. I wouldn't have added that last part there. 
protect our schools, our school employees, our bus drivers, and the well-behaved students. Overhaul JCPS transportation. It is a cesspool of biased, partisan, unethical, harassing, game-playing managers. I have copied all KDOE board members, and I will continue to advocate for change concerning JCPS transportation in order to improve our public school system. Thank you for your consideration. Regardless of how you feel about this, it's, listen, it was thoughtfully written. I'm reading it. The, it's all grammatically correct. The guy's open and transparent about who he is, where he went to school, what his qualifications are, what his background is. He is not trying to hide anything. Just like these teachers over here are, know they're going to get blowback. Just He knows he's going to get blowback. He knows anyone else that speaks up is going to get blowback. He doesn't care. He knows it's time to rise to raise up. And again, I don't endorse all the way. I don't. I wouldn't have worded some things the way he'd worded them. But you know, I'm also not in the trenches and just totally fed up and done with trying to be uh, diplomatic. But what he's saying is consistent with what the Midwestern Teacher Survey said. It's consistent with what the Milwaukee Sentinel Journal is saying consistent with the article coming out of National Review that it was dealing with Akron, Ohio. So we got Akron, Ohio. We got Milwaukee Sentinel Journal. We got the entire Midwest. And now we have Louisville, Kentucky. We have, but we have them all over the country. And this guy's school board member, the person that's been elected to represent him, His, the, he's a constituent of this board member. That board member gave it from the time he received this email at 11.49 a.m. to the time he forwarded it over to the interim commissioner on education in Kentucky at 11.53 a.m. So he gave that thoughtfully written out email four minutes and the only thing he could do and say about it when he forwarded it over was, I received the same racist email from this gentleman once a year. Nothing else in there taken seriously. None of the accusations, none of the student safety outcries, none of the bus driver safety notifications. This guy makes some pretty significant claims in here. It was totally dismissed, not followed up with, and one short sentence was the only response, the only mind paid to it. I received the same racist email from this gentleman once a year. That, if this doesn't prove things to you that our public school system is just, it, listen, they don't care about teachers, they don't care about students, they don't care about constituents. They don't care about stakeholders. They don't care about taxpayers. They don't care. I'm tired of beating around the bush and trying to act nice. They don't give a damn. It's time to blow it up. School choice, total reform from the ground up. It's time. Thanks for listening. It's the Way Too Much JRMC podcast.
I will be back with you shortly with more. And please uh, follow me on Twitter, Way Too Much RMC, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, or Apple Podcasts, wherever you want. Just type in W-A-Y, the number two, M-U-C-H, and then J-R-M-C, because my name is John Ross Marcus Cox. I'm way too much. I know that. I appreciate y'all for listening. Have a great rest of your day.